Hi, welcome to the Givity podcast. I'm Ben, Givity COO. And for those of you who don't know who we are, we're fundraising experts who provide consultative advice to opera organisations looking to raise more at events and online. We're excited to share our fundraising best practices, tips and tricks through this medium. So sit back and enjoy the show. So in today's episode, we'll be continuing our new podcast series based around thought leadership. It invites game changers from the industry to share their stories, inspire charities to think differently, be bolder and look for new ways to fundraise. COVID-19 has thrown up a myriad of challenges for the non-profit sector. However, difficult times often allow for new ideas to be heard. And we're hoping to explore some of them with Joe Yule today. Now, formerly a member of the 90s English pop band Scarlet, Joe has been the CEO of the charity Missing People for the past eight and a half years. And during that time, she has been given the third sector award for rising chief executive, recognised as a top CEO on hashtag socials, CEOs of 2015 and 2016, and has delivered an amazing TEDx talk called Dare Yourself. So we're very, very lucky to have Joe join us today. So sit back and relax and listen to us chat about creativity and leadership, helping young people overcome confidence barriers and much, much more. What an introduction, Joe. <laughs> That's a smile in here. <laughs> Sounded good. <laughs> uh, but no, but how are you doing? I'm good. I'm definitely Friday-ish and uh, I've been listening to a bit of music to get me in the mood. I like to have a bit of a song of the day on the go. And my song of the day is Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker, because it reminds me of my uncle, uh, who was a writer and a probation officer and a musician. And uh, yeah, it's put a smile on my face. Oh, I love that. But, but it kind of leads me on to my, to my next question, actually, because, you know, for, for some of our listeners as well, they will, who grew up in the 90s, and I'm sure many, many of them did, you know, they may remember as well the band Scarlet. But do you want to just tell us a little bit about that and, and how that came to be and then your journey even to, to becoming the CEO of one of the UK's most well-known charities as well? So I did music at school and played the piano. And I think it was probably through finding out that I could write a tune, put a song together, kind of help me find myself and know who I was. I was one of the uncool kids before I was in a band as soon as I was in a band, people wanted to know me. But I just love songwriting and used to write with Cheryl in our music lessons. And then we used to bob down the roads to Paul Heaton, who some of the listeners will know from House Martins, to play him our latest demo. And he used to go, yeah, it's all right, that, you're quite good. We moved to London when we were both 19 to set off to get a record deal. And one of the songs we wrote had a line in it and it was down to London on a train did I come this far to see Piccadilly in the rain and we did a video in the middle of Piccadilly Circus and did two albums and during that time I also signed up to be a volunteer for the Samaritans which in fact is just tucked behind Carnaby Street Central London Samaritans and volunteered there for 10 years doing day shifts night shifts got involved with training with going to talks and really hadn't quite realised that I'd leaped into the heart of the voluntary sector, which is great organisations, great people, supporting other people, could be any of us at any point in time. And I just absolutely loved it. 
and did that alongside the music. Then I realised I better get the degree that I hadn't got. So then I slogged out a degree uh, through the Open University, sat at my dining room table for what felt like about nine years. And, uh, and two albums later and a lot of gigs later and some success and some great times, it, it was ebbing away. And I applied for a role at Missing People on the Helpline and began taking calls and I just was gripped from the start. It pulled together lots of things that I was interested in. And but that time I, I, I knew a bit about leading teams through all the stuff that I'd done at Samaritans and started piping up with ideas and uh, got involved with running the, the team that was leading all the national services. And then, yeah, eight and a half years ago, just about Stepped up to the top job. It took me a while to stride up to the top job, but that's the sort of story of what got me there uh, in short form. Wow, I mean, it's it's such a unique journey. I've I've, um, I've met so many people from within the, the third sector and have never heard that journey, and especially doing open university while being in a in a, in actual pop band. I mean, was that just how did how did you even do that at the same time as like I'm sure and traveling the world and releasing albums. I turned down a lot of invitations to barbecues because it meant having to sit there for a lot of hours. And I've always been someone that's put in the graft behind the scenes, but just wanted to get that under my belt. I did social policy. I've always been interested in issues that affect us all in society. Everything from understanding people through psychology to social policy. And with the Open University, you can build all of your key interests into one degree um, I don't know how much I've needed it, but I do remember one day when the previous chief exec of missing people said to me, I mean, I don't know, Joe, have you even got a degree? And I went, I have, Martin. And I thought, that's it. I spent all of them years just so I could sit there here in front of him and go, yes, I have a degree. But it does help you to write. It helps you to think, helps you to understand issues. And my role does involve campaigning and social policy. And I'm deeply interested in all of that. So I guess it's just you put it in your rucksack and it's there for life. Love that. And um, from doing that work, you know, being in that, in being in the band, and and also I know, you know, we 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 met originally. You're also still a songwriter. I'm sure you always will be. But has that has that changed anything in the way that you lead or the way it guides you through your career with missing people? Loads. I think at the beginning I thought it was a bit strange to have had that career and then have a, a role like I've got in the third sector. And a few months in, I realised that it was going to really help me. Standing on stages, trying to convince a room full of people to support the mission of your charity made me realise that if I could tap into the creativity of writing songs, into writing words. So now I approach writing a speech, like writing a set of lyrics with, a, with verses, with bridges, with, with choruses that come and clout you around the head at the end to support the organisation, if I can do that. But also if it gets me over the quaking in your boots moments of standing up and talking, and I think we all probably relate to that feeling. It doesn't really matter if it's a small group of people or a great big auditorium. And I've played Wembley and I've talked at Wembley for the charity. I've been on the same stages uh, talking to different audiences. And I think it just gives you that that feeling that, you know, if I can do those gigs, I can I can stand up and talk to these people. So that that helps. And there's something in how do you convey the emotion of of missing, of losing a child or a parent and not knowing where they are? And how do I convey that in my leadership of the organisation? 
And sometimes the music, the, the creativity comes into play. And I, and I think that wins people over and I, and I hope it has over time. Yeah, no, t- totally. And, and, I, and I think there's something in there because, you know, we, we, we work, as you know, with so many different charities. And I've seen so many different appeal moments and I've seen some absolutely like, you know, you know you, you're holding back the tears and you've seen ones where it's like totally inspirational. Is, is there any tips that you could give to other charities for their appeal moment? Because one thing that we've noticed during the pandemic is that, especially for the UK as well, pledging and donation and pledge appeals have become a massive thing. As you know, America is like pledge or donate or fund a need crazy, as they call it. But here, like now, we're seeing most charities are trying to do it. And, and a lot of people are actually saying to us all the time, you know, have you got any advice? I'm, I really need to get this message across or I need to convey what the charity are doing because I need to raise X amount of money. Are there any any top tips or anything you'd be able to give from your experience there that you've just mentioned in terms of the songwriting and creating the bridge, the story that you might be able to pass on to other charities? I think we all want to hear stories. So the human connection, the the understanding what something means to another person is the most important thing. And I don't think as as leader of a charity, I'm the right person always to be telling that story. So families who have somebody missing have stood in front of audiences and talked about their experiences. And, and I take my hat off to them because that's deeply emotional. I think that's the way that, that people connect and um, understand what it means for another human being. We're hardwired for stories, that's what we always wanna hear. And and I think that comes first and understanding the difference that an organization can make. And, and also that sense that this could happen to any of us. You know, at Samaritans, it used to be a Samaritan is, is a caller on a good day. And there's no insurance policy against life taking a dark turn for any of us. And understanding that, that there aren't some people that are uniquely protected from all of these things. I think that's why we support charities. It's why I give to charities. I still give to the RNLI because they helped my son on the beach one day. And I give to other charities, you know, to Samaritans, to Brook Young People, where I was on the board, because I want the world to be better for young people. And I think we just need to tap into that spirit. And we saw it in the pandemic, didn't we? People want to help other people. And it always blows me away to think, People want to help other people that they've never met before. And I love that. I think it's the heart of humanity. And I think we can tell the human story. Then we've got people right there. Yeah, no, brilliant advice. And you, you've, you've touched on it quite, you know, a little bit around missing people. But, you know, in the UK, missing people is now an extremely well-known charity for many reasons. But for this podcast, a lot of our listeners are in North America, Asia Pacific and all around the world. Do you want to just just tell us a little bit more about Missing People, how it started and and what it does and how you help people? We started when a local woman to where the charity is based now, who worked for an estate agency, went missing. And she was called Susie, Susie Lamplew, and she's never been found. And the founders of our charity supported her family and realised that for a family going through that kind of trauma, not just for a day, not just for a week, a month or a year, but for years, not knowing what happened to her. They set up the charity. And I know that there are other organisations in, in different parts of the world doing part, you know, bits of what we do. And we support some of the 170,000 people that go missing in our country every year. It's a phenomenal number. And 70,000 of those are children. 
that go missing because they're being bullied, because they're being abused, because they're struggling with their mental health and feel like they can't cope with the world, or because they've been preyed on by people that are drawing them into criminal gangs, sexual exploitation, and adults go missing because they're struggling with coping with life, maybe feeling sometimes uh, their family's better off without them. And so these issues that like, cut right across society, they, they, they cut across societies across the world. And we campaign, we search for people, we get the word out there, but also we provide support. We're a listening ear, we're a crisis support line, and we try and help bring people back together. And if it's not safe for them to go home, then we try and connect them with other sources of help to get them through. It's such an amazing thing that missing people are able to do. And like you said, 170,000 people, it's just, it's just crazy and so sad to think, isn't it, that that many people, and it's like you just said, children as well, that so many people and children go missing every single year. But I mean, hats off as well to your support team that, that offer that are there at the front line, offering that level of support to families as well, because it's, it's such an amazing thing you do. And it, it does lead me on a little bit as well to a very emotional, um, the, the very first time that I was really, really introduced to missing people outside of my career was the Missing People Choir for Britain's Got Talent. And, you know, again, for Alice, because Britain's Got Talent is, is massive, like the same as America's Got Talent. And Missing People Choir went onto our screens, was it back in 2017? Yeah. I think it was. And every single person, everyone I've spoke to for days were just blown away by that as well. But what, what was the thinking behind that? Were you, were you part of that when that happened? Were you there? So the charity had a partnership with Rock Choir, which is a, a whole network of community choirs right across the UK. And they supported the charity as a, a backer. They helped raise funds for us. And one of our team members, Claire, loved music so much and saw the potential to bring together families who have somebody missing into a choir and was I think with lots of great initiatives like this is usually a really kind of strong person in the middle that that sees the potential and brings it together and I you know if anyone know the the feeling of being part of something like that always supported it and the choir came together and did small gigs and big gigs and wrote songs and people that didn't think they could sing realised that they could sing and as someone that spent quite a lot of years designing services trying to create services that help people that are in trauma something like this comes along that just evolves in an organic dynamic way brings people together and there they were on all those stages and on Britain's Got Talent belting out songs singing for their own missing son or their missing daughter. And for anyone who's ever watched that, you can't watch it without crying. You could see that on the judging panel. And Amanda Holden is, is a supporter of the charity and was on that panel. And, you know, tears just rolling down her cheeks, listening to them singing their hearts out. I think it, it's brought people together in a way we couldn't have ever imagined. Lifelong friendships, people that know what it's like to have somebody missing but being able to express it in a joyful way as well. And I think that's one of the one of the lovely things about the charity is that there's so much hope. There's light in the dark. We bring people back together. There were people that were found because of Britain's Got Talent. And so, yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to do marketing, design services, and something like that comes along that knocks everyone's socks off, reaches lots of people across the UK, and suddenly our charity was known like never before. No, I mean, that's 
that's what's amazing isn't it? it's the it's, it's the awareness it's spread but i i still can't get over the bright how brave those people are to be able to to go through such a devastating thing and then have the strength to go up on stage and and sing their songs and, and like you said raise awareness are they, are they still going are they are they still together yeah, the choir is um, still singing, looking forward to them getting together before Christmas to, to do a performance. And I think for for them, it's really emotional. Um, and it makes me think of Peter Lawrence, who was in the choir. His daughter, Claudia Lawrence, was missing and is still missing from York. I think probably a lot of people watching this will will know about and sadly he he passed away a few months ago and I never really knew what had happened to Claudia and I think being part of the choir having that connection with those people meant a lot to him but also standing on the stage with the picture of his daughter behind him um, for him never giving up hope never stopping the search keeping the search alive for her for years after you know, meant the world to him and, and it means the world to lots of people. Now, just switching it a little bit. So we do absolutely, we love a good, a feel good moment here again. And obviously you've been with Missing People now for nearly a decade. Has there been a moment, you know, in your career that you remember with like particular pride? It could be, it can be anything, but just something that's happened that you just, you always go back to to go, wow, I can't believe I were a part of this organisation. There are a few there are a few moments that really stand out. We campaigned for legislation to help families of missing people. And we got two pieces of primary legislation through Parliament, presumption of death, which helps families to be able to wind up the affairs of their missing loved one if they just believe that they've passed away. And guardianship legislation that Peter Lawrence campaigned for, Claudia's law, it's been dubbed to help a family to look after the their affairs of their missing loved one so that when they come back, their life is still there. Those were really key moments for me. But, you know, the most personal was I was asked to play a song written by Alice Gross, who went missing when she was 14, back in 2014, and she had been murdered. And her mum brought in some of Alice's music and the, and the choir learnt one of her songs. And they asked me if I, if I would play the, the song at St Martin's, which is a church in Trafalgar Square in central London for our carol service. And the song's called Don't Let It Go Away. And it's beautiful. And I learnt it at home. And I just, you know, the kind of life going full circle for me, Having had that opportunity to have my music career and have my songs heard and played, to be playing her song was quite something. I did have a bit of a uh, a bit of a mini meltdown, I have to say, because I got to the piano, big grand piano at the front of the church in St Martin's. It's a really emotional evening full of candlelight and, and music. And I sat at the front and um, tucked away, really, and started to play. And in came the choir. And I thought I was quite together. And the emotion got the better of me. But I've long since stopped having my handshake because you can't be a pianist having your handshake while you're playing. But what happens is it goes somewhere else. So as I started to play, I realised that my leg, my right leg was quivering like you wouldn't believe. And I realised how emotional I was and, you know, what a, what a special moment it was to just quietly sit in the corner and play her song. You know, what a tribute to her that the choir sang that song and to her family. And I know. 
it meant a lot for the family that her song was brought to life in a beautiful church in the middle of London, a tribute to Alice. One honour. Well, yeah, one honour to be able to be part of that. Yeah. Oh, God, it's, it's, yeah. it's such an emotional charity. Like, you know, everything that, that you're part of in your organisation, I just think it's so it's so emotional and the, the, the strength that you have and also all the people that work alongside you is just it's just phenomenal I think to be able to do what you all do so we're also living in a time where there's more emphasis being placed on inclusion so we're going to move into villa leadership with that and young people definitely seem to be taking the mantle in that regard but what barriers do you think exist for young people when they're trying to enter leadership positions this is a mighty big question, isn't it's it? A mighty big question, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love your question. On a, on a small note, I've trained to be a, a coach and I've been supporting a charity called Uprising, which is a leadership programme for young people and aims to give them a path to power and to leadership. And in the small conversations I've had with young people supporting them through coaching, so much is around confidence. And so much is around a sense of this world belongs to you and you belong to it. We need to hear your voice. And I think we can support in those in those small, really important ways through coaching. But those amazing charities like Uprising, there's another charity called the Patchwork Foundation that that supports um, young people to that maybe from disadvantaged communities or that don't traditionally end up in democratic positions in, in civil society to get there. Those are the sorts of initiatives that I think are needed. And I also think in our schools, it's really important that in education that that children get the sense that the, that the world belongs to them. And how do we build that confidence? How do we remove some of the structural barriers that are in place? And I'm lucky that in my role at Missing People, I can hopefully build a a culture that encourages people with loud voices and with quiet voices and with things to say that they have a platform for that. It, It takes me back a little bit to being in the band where I was at the front of the stage, but there was one of the guys in my band who used to play the piano while everybody was talking. He'd be playing the piano and we stopped one day and it was beautiful and, and he had a lot to say in, in a quiet way. So I think mm. we need to listen to the quiet people. We need to support them. We, we need to remove structural barriers. We need children to come out of school with the confidence that you see some children that come out of the independent school sector. And I know that Keir Starmer was was talking about this in his, in his recent work, and I'm sure he'll say something about the Labour Party conference, but we, we need to remove those barriers because we need to be led by people that understand the world that we're all living in. And I will do whatever I can to back young people to, to take those those positions and support those organisations that are doing brilliant work to to make all of that happen. And, you know, I was just thinking about the Up Where We Belong song then as I was talking and that feeling of belonging is so important that a young person can look at a political stage or the leadership of an organisation or to lead a campaign and feel that they are entitled to be there. And, you know, Joe Cocker's song's all about love. This is going to need more than love. This is going to need real gumption and real support and creating systems that are equal for people to be able to have a voice and to take the stage and to make a change. And um, I'll be backing that all the way as someone that's just about to turn 50. I used to feel like I was a young person for quite a long time. And now I feel like 
the boots on the other foot and I, I'm going to do everything that I can to try and ensure that we have a world where we hear voices from people of all backgrounds and of all shapes and sizes and loud and small and the quiet voices listen to those because those people have often got the most important things to say. No they, they definitely have and and you look amazing for 50 by the way. Thanks. You are still young. You're still very young. <laughs> I hope I've got a nice zoom on the uh, on the image here, like a nice filter <laughs> like you get on, on Zoom calls. Enhanced appearance. <laughs> okay, Snapchat filter. And, and what about in your own organisation? How how do you nurture young talent and and allow you know people who are entering into your organisation to, to kind of have that voice? Is is a is like a an approach you have or a stepping up program that you that you try and foster? We have a set of values within the organisation, which I hope helps with that. So our values, first and foremost, are around being human, around valuing other people. We have a value which I love called Let Fly, which celebrates achievements and people's abilities at whatever whatever role that they are doing in the organisation about being grounded in, in everything that the organisation is a, about and about making things happen. We've brought in support across the organisation through, you know, traditional line management routes. But I think we focus as much on listening and understanding people's views and thoughts as, as much as we do about process around line management. Of course, we have to do all of that as well. I've run some sessions around helping some of our team to feel confident enough to to speak up and out. And I think one of the things I'm most interested in is what holds us back. And just talking to a, a team member, in fact, this week who, who said, oh, I want to be able to speak and not feel so timid. And so how do we achieve that? And I, I ran a session that helped a group of us think about when I want to get my voice out there, what gets in my way? And if I knew that I could be eloquent and say what I wanted to say, how would that sound? And how do I get there? And what do I need to do to get there? There's loads more I can do, I think, to help people, to give them that platform. But I also think that sense of voices are equal across the organisation. And yes, you need hierarchy and you need people to lead an organisation. But I want to be able to open those roles up. So your question's got me thinking about what more I could be doing on that. So thanks for that one. But it sounds like you're already doing so much. And I'm, I'm looking, so it's called Let Them Fly. Let Fly, which is the, it's just that sense of possibility. And I used to really struggle when I first took over um, this role as leading the organisation when people left. It's a bit like running, you know, having a party and people leaving early. I, d- I didn't like that feeling. But when we worked on those values of Let Fly, you realised that encouraging people to take their skills and their talents to other organisations to stay part of the community of the charity whether they are on the payroll or they're not on the payroll or they're volunteering or they're not I think let flies really help with that but also about enabling people to to reach their potential to have opportunity to spread their wings is really important. We love that I feel like I want to I feel like I want to adopt that in our own organisation now I'm like come on guys let's fly <laughs> I think it's really that's a really, that's a really liberating, positive, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really positive way to put it because, yeah, you're right. And you, that's what you're doing. Aren't you? We're always nurturing, you know, nurturing young talent and, and talent across the business to to enable them to be able to fly. And that might be within us, within our organisation or within, within within others. And 
we've been really lucky. We've had people that have gone and flew and then they've also come back and all those different things, because I think that's what the third sector is like, isn't it? It's kind of pulls you back in a little bit. And I think you're always you're always connected in some way. We have a group within our organisation that work around equality, diversity and inclusion. And that group look at what we're doing as an organisation and, and what could be better. And we're regularly talking backwards and forwards with them. Their ideas are so valuable because they, they're seeing the world from a different perspective. And I'm, you know, a white, middle class, um, slightly older person now. <laughs> That's term five, And I, I think those those sorts of groups and, and voice are really important. And they've encouraged us as well to be really much more vocal about some of the issues that we see where where discrimination might be at play, where families have told us that they feel when they've reported a loved one missing to the police that they've not got the response that they would have expected and that they feel that their race is playing a part in that, that there's discrimination that they are experiencing. And that group have encouraged us to, to take that that voice out there, to, to speak up and speak out. And I think that's another example of, of how those sorts of voices within an organisation can help you see things. I wish that I'd seen some of those issues sooner. I hadn't seen them and that, that group have helped to throw a light on certain things like that. And I, I really value that as well. No, absolutely. So we're gonna we're gonna move on to your other moment of fame, um, your TEDx talk. <laughs> um, how did that come about, by the way? No, I, I always harboured a secret wish to do a TED talk because I love them myself. And I was sat on my sofa one day and I got a message through by Twitter from the guy that was um, curating the TEDx series in Wandsworth. And I felt like somebody had just read my mind and I got in touch and he encouraged me and coached me around having a story to tell. I think a bit like you, he was aware of the charity and and the issue uh, around missing and wanted to talk to me about whether I might be able to put a talk together for that. And honestly, it was it was a brilliant experience and it was a really quite a daunting experience to do that because you're there with no no scripts in front of you, no auto cue, and the challenge of learning that for 12 minutes to, to remember it all and be able to get your message across. And he did, I guess, a lot of what we were talking about around storytelling. Um, he spent a lot of time listening to me, and then he go, that's the bit that resonates. These are the bits you need to focus on. And I think it's helped me to craft it. He didn't give me content, but he helped me to, to craft it in a way that hopefully resonated with some people around the confidence to step up when you're quaking in your boots. Yeah, oh, well, it's amazing to give you guidance as well, like you said, and that support to get you there. I suppose for you, it's like doing four songs back to back, just without the chorus. <laughs> I always think to myself, people, when, like, like yourself, songwriters and performers, I'm like, how do they remember? Like, how do they, obviously, they just, they just do. But for you, it's like, I just thought that I was like, it's four songs without the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was like doing a gig, a bit like an out-of-body experience, and but a, a great experience to push yourself to do something that felt really challenging. And also to, to put your personal thoughts out there into such a public space. Um, felt quite vulnerable doing that. And 
I remember on the day I didn't want anyone to, to come along with me. So I got on the bus, uh, went up to Wandsworth, sat in Pret and had a coffee and tried to sort myself out and went and did the, the talk. And, you know, I wish that I'd had some of friends and family there, but of course they've seen it since. But it just felt like a little quiet journey I needed to make on my own that day. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that you've been able to do. And and within the talk as well, you talk about having the confidence to realise um, that the right mo- moment may never come and that you can't sit around and you have to act. So reflecting on the post-pandemic, I can't say the word anymore, do you think that some charities have been forced to adopt that kind of m- mindset? I think the whole last year's really affected us in quite a profound way, hasn't it? And I think the pandemic's helped us to see things in, in quite a different way, that some of the things that we didn't think would be possible have been possible. And there's a lesson in that. So for me, the lesson that I've taken out of it is that we could perhaps be even bolder. I would have never imagined that through COVID, we would have been able to move our entire frontline service delivery team home and deliver a national service from people's bedrooms or their lounges or wherever they were working at home. And that taught me that I wouldn't have had the courage to try that out had it not been for COVID, but it's worked. It's not worked perfectly. Some people prefer being together in a team and we're we're bringing that back together. But I do think that we've, we've learned some things about ourselves. And certainly for me, I always wondered what it would be like running a global organisation. And now I feel like I know because no one's been together in one place for the last 18 months. And it's a bit like running a global team. And I also think that um, we need to think about what we don't want to lose from that learning, but also what we don't want to lose more generally, because we do need to be together as people. We do need to meet up and connect and have conversations and spark ideas off each other and inspire each other and have a little cry over the, you know, making a cup of tea because something's upset us. Um, and, and it kind of has always brought that that line of the song to me about let, let's not pave over paradise and put up a parking lot because there is a lot about being together and working together that's really important. And now we know that we can work differently. But I do think there's been some real challenges around how charities are able to support themselves through voluntary income. And having events cancelled, marathons cancelled, gala dinners cancelled, certainly put a bolt of fear through so many of us across the sector, Hmm. how we were going to manage this. And missing people, we were lucky because we did get um, emergency funding through the government. And we have had to also reduce the size of our team somewhat to help us get through this. And that was really painful, particularly for colleagues that then left the organisation. But the most important thing in, in my mind is that our organisations are around for years to come. We are the guardians of our organisation. We have them for moments in time and then we're like a relay. We, you know, we hand them on to the next leadership team and the next team of people that will be part of the organisation. It does leave us with really big questions around sustainability of organisations. How do we make sure that we are around for years to come at a time when we're going to be needed more than ever? Because all of the the fallout of the pandemic, as the clouds move away, thank the Lord, um, or not the Lord, uh, we will see some of the impacts of this pandemic across every aspect of society that affects so many of all of us. And how are our charities going to be there when we're most needed if the income is not there in the same way? 
So we've got some fundamental challenges, but perhaps we start from a question of, you know, what can we achieve? If we knew that we were going to be successful, what would we do? And if we knew we could be really bold as we have had to be in the last year, then what difference will that make? And so that's where my thinking's at. And sometimes you can only really understand things backwards, but you've got to live forwards. You need to take decisions when you haven't got the whole picture. It felt like that in COVID. It felt like we were taking decisions in the dark. Who knew what was going to happen next? But we are a resourceful and inventive species, aren't we? We're able to come up with some great ideas and be creative and be innovative and all together across organisations. And I've learned that, that having an amazing team, a bit like being in a band, you know, you need people from that can play the instruments, that can write the songs, that can stand at the front and sing it. But essentially, it's a team. And that's the thing that's got us through this, connections with other people. So that's hanging on to that. I think it's going to be really important as we go forwards out of this um, last 18 months. Yeah, and you, and you couldn't be more right. It's, it's like you were saying earlier about, you know, you, you have to protect the future of missing people as well. And it's I think as, as leaders, it's, it's such a hard thing that all of us in every single company or charity of that to go through, isn't it? During that 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 initial panic, thinking, "Oh my God, what are we going to do? All your events, everything, all the fundraising is cancelled." And then you're like, "Oh, then then, then there was that. What are the, are the government going to help us?" Luckily, you know, they they've they've helped a lot of people. There's some people they you know they haven't been able to. And then all obviously, I think everyone's had to also make that squeeze as well. But but you're right. You have to make those decisions to be able to protect the future of missing people because you're right. That baton needs to be hand carried on for, for, for years because there's still going to be 170,000 people or, or, or more go missing kind of every year. But one thing that you mentioned there I think is really important is the pandemic has raised a lot of questions like you're saying around sustainability and actually being able to even pass that baton on. Are there, is there anything that you're going to do differently in terms of the way you lead um, you know, missing people? We're still in the pandemic but the way you're going to lead it out of it that, that is going to enable, you know, touch wood, pray it never happens. But if another new strain happens and we go back into another, you know, lockdown in a year's time, these things could happen. We're thinking about it. We're like, all right, can we get through this? Is there, is there anything you're doing or any advice you can give to other charities, especially the small ones? Some of the things that have amazed us in this last year and a bit have been the ability to bring people together online. So whereby we might have had one conversation with one of our team and one family member. We've brought family members together to support each other. And that's facilitated by digital, you know, that, that digital happening, mm-hmm. isn't it? And also because we've all had to skill up in, in this digital world, that means that the way that we deliver our services, how we help people can be delivered in different ways because people are, are more used to accessing things online. And that's, I think, one of the ways that we can reach more people through getting our knowledge packaged up really well for people that are in that immediate crisis of being missing so that they can get the information they need. But it doesn't necessarily need a long call. But the most important thing to me is that if you need to speak to someone to have that heart to heart, that that we've got someone there for you to talk to. So for me, it's about how do we reach lots of people in different ways through digital, but also how do we make sure that there's a human being there ready to talk to somebody? And I think some of this is in our thinking because there's that feeling that you want to hunker down when a crisis hits, that you want to retract and become small. 
and feel that you want to protect an organization in that way, all of my instincts say, be bold, be brave, be innovative, be creative, because that's usually at the at the heart of thriving organizations. And I'm not saying I've cracked it. I just feel like it's really important to hang on to that as well. So how do we let some of the painful feelings of the last 18 months go? To free us up, to let fly, to think about the ideas of the future, which might just be the thing that gets you through it in the long term. How do you keep that innovation at the heart? And I, and I believe that we're all creative. We're all creative people. Lots of people have ideas and thoughts. How do you harness that? I feel like I run around with a, a butterfly neck collecting ideas from people. Let's hang on to those and make sure that we continue to be innovative and cutting edge because the world's going to need us. It's not a time for us to be small. I wish I could remember where that quote comes from, but the world needs us to be big in heart, big in ambitious, in ambition to make sure that we're we're there to meet the needs of society. Yeah, and, and, and it's like you just said, you know, you feel you're going around catching kind of butterflies and getting, getting all this information. I think, you know, the one thing that is out there because of the digital transformation and because of everything being online, people are sharing. So I think for, you know, for any fundraisers out there and, and or in the charities, you know, just generally work for the charity, listen to these webinars and podcasts. And there's, there's so much resource now that just wasn't there before. And I think that's something I'm, I'm taking is just listen to what others are doing, because sometimes you might... You might not have that light bulb moment straight away yourself, but I'm I'm finding the more fundraising speaking to, they'll they'll hear another story, and it could be in another country, a way a charity have transformed or found a way to still deliver services, but in a different way. And they've listened and gone, oh God, I've never thought of that. And then you can adjust it to make it work for your or your organisation. So I think just just looking at the free information that's out there and speaking to other people is key now isn't it and if that's what's brilliant is now more people are speaking than ever before yeah and it, it's kind of democratizing isn't it there's a equality of voice out there of ideas and yeah for sure i we all speak to lots of different organizations to you know to nick ideas because we're all doing different things and taking the innovation from other places i think is, is really important um, and i do think digital will be one of the ways that we're able to kind of scale up our impact without scaling up our costs in equal proportion, which, you know, I don't think is going to be possible. So that's some of the areas that we're going to focus on and uh, making sure that we have a skip in our step. And my my final question is, you know, for all those young people or or someone that's just starting out their career in the third sector, have you got any advice or or top tips um, that could help them that where? to really try and affect change. Because as we know, I think most people who enter this sector, they really want to do good and they really want to help people or, or animals or whatever it is that they get involved in. But is there anything you, any advice you can give that could really help them have their voice heard? It's a big question to end on, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, look, I mean, literally I'm going for it today with these questions. <laughs> I, I always felt from, from my own point of view, that people looked out for me, that I, in organisations that I've been part of, people asked for my views and then I shared them. And I, I always felt like I was really well supported. And, and I hope that I can bring that into the work at Missing People. I think for a young person setting out the, the sharing your thoughts, being brave enough to speak up, to engage people, to ask people for help, to ask people conversations, support them I think will make a difference 
and to set off with a belief in in your own value in the world and that's that's a mighty big thing to achieve but to know that you're you're good enough as you are and that your voice needs to be heard and therefore you're going to speak up and you're going to speak out and seek out people that will will support you on that and I, and I from lots of the people that I know across the third sector in lots of organizations they'll be there alongside you in that brilliant advice now Joe, thank you so much for joining us today I know that our listeners will have thoroughly enjoyed all the advice that you've given us today and I truly believe as well that your advice will help and support many fundraisers globally during this challenging time. So thank you so much, Joe. Thanks. Really enjoyed the conversation. Now, if you would like to find out more about Missing People as an organisation, please go to www.missingpeople.org.uk. We really hope you've enjoyed today's episode and found the content informative, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. So if you would like to suggest any future guests or any topics, please email podcast at givergy.com. And as always, please don't forget to hit subscribe as there are episodes coming out every two weeks. Thank you so much. <laughs>